Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of The Lab. As always, you've got Dave and Lou here talking with you. Um, we hope you guys have been enjoying our kind of mixing and matching of episodes, uh, kind of covering a little bit more of the strength conditioning realm, and then also getting a little bit more of the physical therapy world in there as well. Um, today, kind of building off, because actually you guys asked for more of this. I actually had a few of you reach out and touch base about this. So I'm actually pretty happy about that. So thank you for that, first of all. Um, but Dave and I are going to expand a little bit more about uh, programming in the rehab setting. Um, in particular, what we're going to kind of talk about, uh, maybe just like some practical modifications, maybe some do's and don'ts. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of expand on this as we go. It might even grow a little bit more as we talk about it. Um, but no, thank you guys for reaching out about that. I really am excited to, you know, I'm both of our both of us are excited to talk about strength conditioning in the physical therapy world because we do feel that it is something that, I mean, it, not necessarily that it's missed, but it's definitely not touched upon in physical therapy school maybe as readily as it needs to be. Um, I remember we did talk about exercises to a small degree, but we never really went through like, I guess, to the depth that we really need to have an understanding for both programming, why you choose particular rep ranges, sets, loads, do all the above when working with athletes or just getting yeah. in the door. And I really don't even know anybody that covers any of it super in depth. Mm -hmm. I mean, the ice group is getting pretty close mm -hmm. uh, as far as like giving you like broad things to kind of like consider is like you're doing things uh, or picking specific exercises and in, in that, but yeah, no, nobody's truly diving into the specifics on this stuff. Mm -hmm. At least not from what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I remember, well, you were there when we were in our uh, our third year in PT school. And we were going through, we had like the, um, was it advanced therapies when we did it? But we had uh, uh, sports, like sports med specialty. Yeah, okay, that's, that's what I thought. Because I remember we did... Well, you remember when you and I did the the independent study mm -hmm. in the CrossFit gyms, and we had a blast doing that. And then um, that was the dream. That was the dream. I mean, a little sidebar when you can just lift, do a little research, do a little data analysis, and repeat. That was that was a dream. Yeah, drink coffee, play trivia at night, then repeat. That was pretty cool. <laughs> pretty sweet. Uh, I sorry. I, I won't. I won't rabbit hole anymore. Squirrel. Um, but I guess kind of talking about particular things with programming, um, I guess kind of what I said, like the do's and don'ts of programming in the rehabilitation setting, um, what would yeah. be particular things maybe you would look for, Dave, with programming in the rehab setting? Yeah, I feel like this, this one is going to be like more what not to do mm -hmm. or like how to advise people through training, like as you're going through rehab. Um, let's kind of keep it sports medicine specific just so this way like we can just practically kind of go down this hole mm -hmm. and just under the assumption that like you have a I don't know 20 to 40 year old athlete who's relatively healthy and takes care of themselves so a lot of like your low hanging fruit is gone mm -hmm. um, okay so for this athletic population Nine times out of 10, this is going to be an overuse or overstretch injury, mm -hmm. you know, barring that you don't have somebody just dive into your knee and carry your ACL, which technically that's an overstretch injury too. Mm -hmm. 
but yeah, a lot of the soft tissues tend to be super aggravated due to this type of like overstretch, strain, pull, however you want to categorize this. Mm-hmm. Um, and tendonitis tends to stick to a category of compression. Uh, I know this is kind of like new, but chronic tendonitis, tendinosis, you know, tendonitis being more towards like the 15 to 20 year old, tendinosis being 30 plus mm-hmm. kind of category, tends to be chronic friction or compression over a joint that kind of rubs to the point that it actually wears out the tendon itself. Mm-hmm. So as long as like we kind of have like these set, uh, I think that's a good place to go off of. Okay. And so let's assume it's just a chronic or acute tissue inflammation issue or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess with like the with like the acute acute injuries, one of the things I like to think about is um, feeling better first, right? So like management of symptoms, getting symptoms to reduce, getting things to kind of calm down. Um, and this is just kind of going to be like a brief small skeleton. So like kind of like phases, if you will. Um, number one, getting things to feel a little bit better first, reducing inflammation, getting things to want to move through a tolerable, if not full range. Um, once you have things calmed down, the feel good phase is kind of done. Teaching how to load appropriately and kind of gradually and not just kind of going right back into old numbers because how they were moving beforehand or how maybe they were rate of loading what they were doing beforehand maybe it was too abrupt. Like, um, one of the things that I've had with people, like, for example, kind of going with what you were talking about, I had a gentleman, younger guy from the base, um, just had been doing squats and was making like 25, 35, and even one point, like 50 pound jumps on his sets for warmups. And I looked at that and I'm like, and he was only doing like two warmup sets. So we talked about, you know, maybe, and he wasn't, he was just going into a cold, like literally put weight on the bar, two warmup sets, and then right into his working sets. And I was like, Let's do a little bit more of a dynamic warm up, things of that nature. After we had gotten everything kind of calmed down, so we kind of made some of those modifications. But I digress. One of the things is feel good first, teach them how to move, and then being smart with programming and just kind of learning how to kind of move them and being efficient and basically independent. Um, with the acute tendonitis, you can think of it as like an overload too quick, too soon. Either you made too big of jumps in your weightlifting progressions. Um, like you were saying, the compression, he he just had a ton of just but kind of patellofemoral, but it was almost more like off the lateral um, femoral condyle. So like, honestly, maybe a little bit more lateral quad and maybe even some IT band friction off that, which was not fun. Noble's compression test absolutely sent him through the roof. So what we ended up doing was just kind of getting things to chill out. Once he had everything kind of tolerable with body weight, then we kind of started working back into the barbell stuff. Um, Anything in specific you really want to go through, Dave? Well, in particular, I guess, just kind of discussing the mechanisms and then like the things that would actually aggravate it. Yeah. Right. So within like that framework that you're talking about, usually the types of muscular contraction that you're trying to get are going to be isometric and eccentric. So inherently, this leaves concentric out of the equation for the most part, especially explosive concentric notions. So by nature of the mechanism, you know, you can use like the squat, for example, 
people that do bouncy squats don't tend to warm up etc will put a quick stretch on the tendon that compresses kind of like you're saying behind the femur mm-hmm. um and it can also kind of cause that like short stretch cycle which is great mm-hmm. but once again if you're not getting like adequate loading on the back side of it then you're asking for some sort of like a breakdown so our job in therapy is to slow them down, get them more time under tension, remodel the tendon, and then let's kind of talk about like what modifications would you actually put on a program and possibly make it like sports specific. Right, you're talking about like at the beginning or like more towards the end of things. Yes, period. Like you have in that like acute phase, and you're not trying to flare them up. Mm-hmm. So. For example, tendinitis, mm-hmm. like we kind of talked about, plyometric or concentric activity is going to be like the things that you want to avoid. So mm-hmm. if we can extrapolate this to like a, a power lifter um, or crossfitter or weightlifter or even just like a regular sports setting, the stuff that you're likely trying to rule out here is going to be quick change of direction. Mm-hmm. So in the powerlifting setting, this is going to look like um, unsupported squats uh, for the most part, uh, depending on like the the body part. Right. So then obviously like you can go through your CrossFit and like you have a tremendous list of plyometric things that you need to tell them to kind of lay off of. Back off the impact. Exactly. So when you kind of create your rule in rule out list from like a psychological perspective, try to roll in more for them so they can see what they're trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and it gives them more empowerment and then possibly put some things on like the hey let's let's avoid these for a second then retest them throughout that time frame of like four to six weeks as like your tendon health starts to improve mm-hmm. but like some good examples of what i would put on that like don't list are pretty much anything that like where your feet leaves the ground if we're dealing with like the lower extremity injury. Mm-hmm. So I guess quad specific, you know, box jumps, wall balls, power cleans, power snatches, quad snatches, anything that requires a very quick change of direction mm-hmm. is kind of like the stuff that I'm trying to include on that, like possible to avoid list. Yeah, I agree with that. That's actually like, so part of the thing we did with him in the very beginning was he's a big trail runner, um, loves doing the Olympic lifts. He's not a CrossFitter per se, but he's dabbled in the Olympic lifts. So he liked doing a lot of that, um, box jumps. He did a lot of jump roping, um, overall active individual, like great tactical athlete, um, active duty. So like things in particular that like we would, we basically took away in the very beginning that we put on the do list were those things, the higher impact things, the things that required a heck of a lot more stabilization. Um, Cause like you were saying, the, the rate of loading, let alone like just even like the unilateral impact when he was doing the trail running was enough to like set it off. So like, even though he's not getting like all the way down into the deep squat, like he would like he initially came in for the trail running was very irritating as well. So like we made a list of things he couldn't do like you were already saying. And then what we did was we made a list of things that I wanted him to kind of begin doing. And so we started talking about like, he, he, he wasn't exactly a big fan of just kind of off like with like, cause he wanted to be able to get outside. He likes being outdoors with the dogs. He liked being able to go up and down 
uh, the hills. So we talked about maybe just doing rucking for right now, you know, getting on a pack, a little bit of load, nothing crazy, but just something where it was not like a crazy amount of terrain, but something that got him outside, kept him active. But as long as he did like some symptom management, so it wasn't like you weren't allowed to get over like, like I took like a two or three out of 10 in the beginning phases of his rehab where like he could still tolerate that like he got like achy and sore i didn't want anything sharp like yeah. he would experience when that's, he that's a good thing to talk about too so like you're coaching people to stay in a achy type of pain okay. rather than sharp stabbing shooting aggravating mm -hmm. so at the baseline of like what that does mm -hmm. is it should indicate to the patient that they have positive tissue remodeling mm -hmm. and not negative right so reinforcing that like one to three and achy is enough stress to change the tendon but it's not enough to set you back it's a really good thing to coach them through mm -hmm. from like a psychological perspective agreed and he he, he bought into that pretty fast because he was like oh I, I can have a little bit of pain i'm not gonna like do anything harmful to this i was like i mean obviously you know be smart don't go crazy with this but then what we started doing initially we actually we did started incorporating like the knee extension isometrics and we had him doing like a variation of angles we didn't just do like the one where it's just a quad set and squeezing we took him from like maybe a partial 15 degree bend we went all the way down to 45 and then we went to 90 and i had him working through the ranges and just trying to elicit a contraction but without eliciting any type of like increased sharp pain so he could push as hard as he wanted to as long as he worked within the parameters that we kind of set initially and his ranges and of, of reps and holds and sets has varied as we kind of be basically progressed through that. But then along the opposite side of that, besides just working on like the quadriceps, we actually started incorporating hamstring isometrics as well through those same varied ranges. Um, we didn't really touch the hip in the first two weeks, I won't lie. We focused a lot on just kind of creating and controlling and managing the pain in the front of the knee. But then as soon as we had him doing that, we started getting way more in depth in taking the quadriceps function and improving it to more of the close chin activity. So like as soon as he could squat, we were squat. As soon as I could get his feet on the ground, great. Um, so I guess his symptoms didn't really last too long. Like, like we talked about in one of our previous episodes, if we can get you moving within the first two to three sessions, that's what we're going to do. Because then we, we learned a lot about his movement patterns where like he was the type of squatter where he thought he had to stay completely upright the entire time. So like he's getting all the way down to the bottom of a squat. And these heels are popping straight up. And he had like, ankle dorsiflexion flexion wasn't hateful, but like he didn't know how to like incorporate a hinge and the knee bend at the same time. And he had like a, what I would call maybe a muted hip where he wasn't hinging very well at all. Uh, if anything, was more of like an anterior pelvic tilt. We cleaned that up. He got a little bit more of a torso lean, change in loading between the hip and the quad and night and day difference in where he felt tension and pressure. So already we've gone through management of symptoms. We've gone through movement pattern adjustments. And then actually right now he's, he's a little bit, he's probably maybe in week six or seven, but he's been loading himself more gradually and it's been fantastic. So it's like, he doesn't have any of the symptoms he had before. He's actually been feeling even less lower back pain with the changes in mechanics too. So he's like, I didn't anticipate that, but wonderful. So it's been cool to kind of just like see all those little adjustments and changes. But uh, I guess kind of getting into that that middle phase, because I feel like we talked a lot about the beginning phases of rehab with like, you know, the isometrics. Is there anything else you would include in that first part, Dave, or any other like little topics we should maybe touch on? Sure. Uh, isometrics, there's a specific protocol that you can use to downregulate pain for the session. So currently where we're at with that, five sets of 45 seconds 
of an isometric. Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, um, specific to the knee, you can use your uh, leg extension and kind of like load it up. Mm-hmm. Some other stuff that you can do if you want to incorporate closed connect chains very early is almost like a Spanish squat isometric hold. And those tend to be pretty good because they kind of cause that like glide forward on your knee and they allow you to stay a little bit more upright rather than causing that string effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can incorporate kind of like top down squatting too in this like early phase. So like if you have a kettlebell, you can mm-hmm. squat to a bench and like just incorporate the eccentric. This could be something that's relatively easy to do. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, not hateful. And then in this particular scenario, using the box will allow you to actually sit back into your hamstrings a little bit more mm-hmm. and avoid that bow string effect like we were talking about. But yeah, so if the concentric is still symptomatic, doing mm-hmm. just the eccentric can be a good way to get somebody to move through full range of motion safely. Yeah, and like you just said, even modifying the range. Nice little adjustment there as well. I like that. Uh, so I guess kind of moving into that that second phase of like, you know, you've, you've gotten things to feel a lot better. Um, second phase can be incorporating a variety of different things. I mean, it just depends on the person. Um, for this individual in particular, what we started addressing, one of the things he was concerned about, one of the things I wanted to make sure we addressed is uh, his expectation was to be able to learn how to move better. So he wanted to learn how to squat, he wanted to learn how to deadlift, he wanted to basically keep these symptoms from coming back. So one of the big things that we've kind of taken upon ourselves in the clinic right now is teaching him how to move and then gradually progressing the load. So what we've done with him is we've taken three or four different variations of squat. We don't squat the same way every single time. And that's because he gets bored in the gym very easily. And so switching it up kind of keeps it fresh for him. It also challenges him and he likes that aspect. He also likes having the, the, the chance to experiment a little bit with how he holds the load. So besides just like, like, for example, I guess, um, the, the three variations that we focused on were a goblet squat holding in front, a rear foot elevated split squat, and then just a simple barbell back squat. Now, what we've done with the, um, the rear foot elevated split squat, right, is we've actually taken the kettlebell and we've held the kettlebell in front and we've also loaded it on opposite sides, depending on like where we really want to target. Maybe we want to just put it on the same side as the knee that's forward put it on the opposite side of the knee that's forward or just holding directly in front and maybe having it pulled up a little higher just to stimulate maybe a little bit more of the upper back. So like we've constantly modified and he's done something different every single time that he feels he's making progress. He's learning to move in a variety of different loaded positions and with progressive overload, which has been awesome. So he's handling load each week at higher paces, which has been fantastic. Uh, and he's just gotten more confident in tolerating that load and the changes in loading mechanics. Uh, so that's just an example. I mean, I, I'm not going to go through a whole bunch of the deadlift right now, just to spare you some of the examples, but there's always different ways and variations that you can utilize. So like if you have someone who's getting bored in therapy, which that's going to happen, I, I've experienced it. Dave, you probably had, had patients who've experienced this where by just changing up that little thing and making those little modifications, you can keep them interested, but at the same time, you can challenge them in a variety of ways while still making progress. Yeah, guys, this is a really good spot to use like tempo and pauses. Yes. 
So you can avoid that quick change of direction at the bottom too. So you can stick with the same variation for a couple of weeks. And that like you can do goblet squat, but you can have them go down like a three count. You can have them do like a five second pause in the bottom so they can assess their form. And like, so you're also avoiding that rapid recoil and that compression. So you're getting the, the tendon a chance to like actually calm down while it's under stress and still getting remodeled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good, you want to talk any more on the tempos at all? Like, is there like, like is one tempo better than the other? Is there a specific um, depth with the tempo? Like, do I want to be doing a 10 second squat? Might be I don't one. know that it matters. I mean, like, obviously don't make it super awful. Mm -hmm. I mean, even for like a healthy person, they're recommending starting at like 50% and they're not really exceeding anything higher than a set of five. Mm -hmm. But truly what you're looking for there is just increased time under tension, depending on what you're trying to look for that day. So if this person has trouble bottoming out, like obviously that pause in the bottom is going to be great. If you're just looking to challenge their position, global tempo, tempo is great. But I'm really not seeing much past like a three second negative just from like a user standpoint it's awful to do mm -hmm. so if you really want to like mess yourself up try just try it you can see exactly why you don't want to do it do a set of 10 for a five second negative with a pause in the bottom oh, God. 50 percent of like your load and by rep like five you're, you're gonna compromise position yeah like it's really really hard to do if you're treating it with appropriate intensity i agree the other nice thing about those kind of building off that dave uh, is besides just targeting the tissues where you're really wanting them to learn how to control like if you're doing a barbell back squat and you have 50 percent load and you have like let's say three seconds on the way down a two second pause and three seconds on the way up you're also going to be stimulating a lot of time and attention for the upper back as well as a lot of abdominal recruitment just trying to maintain that stability and positioning so it's more than just a squat and training the legs. You're not training the core and the torso as well. Yeah. And uh, I guess to kind of touch on some stuff that can carry over into both of these phases too. Mm -hmm. Specific to the knee as like a global grading system, right? Mm -hmm. Treating quad strength for any type of knee pain typically gives you like an A plus. But treating the hip as far as like this general hip extension and external rotation also gives you an A. Mm -hmm. So while you're messing around with calming down the tendon, you can also be strengthening the glutes to help give them better position and feel more stable in the bottom mm -hmm. indirectly. Yeah. I mean, there's even cases like where you'll see knee pain and like you can just treat the glutes and it'll go away. True. That's actually relatively common. Mm -hmm. just by nature that it could possibly give you a much more stable vector to push off of mm -hmm. but yeah like you I mean if you do any of those two things you can even shotgun it and you're going to be a good clinician as long as you understand basic principles of how to do overload yeah i mean that's where it comes into play where like you've done your your subjective questioning kind of like we talked about in the last episode uh, with Dave and I, where you're going to do your subjective questioning, you're going to have your narrowed down list of objective measures, right? And then you're going to already be building a program in your head by the time they've walked out the door of what you need to be addressing, how long it's going to take you to address it, maybe 
and then how you're going to be progressing things. Um, so like, as you start off with this, like Dave and I have already said in the past, you know, start writing programming for yourself, find your weaknesses and start trying to address them through a progressive overload and exercise choice and variation. Um, hey guys, it's not always that easy either. I mean, like I had a high level, like CrossFit coach come in, mm-hmm. that's like chronic knee pain, kind of mimicking the teller tendonitis, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, I, I squat with him. I like his quad strength isn't the issue. Mm-hmm. So then that way you kind of have to go down your list and go look at like, you know, hip and ankle mobility to see if you have any low hanging fruit just to try to take a little bit of that bowstring off of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess some other things to kind of think about is like, once you get to that point where like, let's say you pass through, cause we only got a few more minutes here left. Um, once you get past that point where like, you've got things kind of like phase one, I would say getting things to feel better. Phase two, you kind of taught, relearned movements you gradually begin basically beginning to add load to their program um is going to be that progression into more independence and putting the ball in their court for taking the programming that you kind of made for them and apply it on their own because it's like you can't be there and holding their hand at all times so like what happens is that as they start developing that independence and they become more inclined to correct themselves i will start like, especially in clinic, I will start putting the ball in their court to go out into the gym, whether if it's in class at the CrossFit gym, if it's out at the YMCA, or if it's on base in the gym, I want them to start pushing themselves as individuals without me present. And I want them to record their list so they can watch it. Like, okay, I need to do this different. Uh, Just to kind of get them more inclined to be ready to discharge with you. But then that way they feel that that I don't want to say self-worth, but like the self-worth and being able to know that they can make these corrections themselves. Uh, that's it's just learning. You learn to learn something. Exactly. Take what you've learned and now apply it. Right. Just like you did in school. Just like you did in school. Yeah. A lot of stuff that you might be doing just gets discharged to accessory work and then they can start to build themselves back up. Mm-hmm. So uh, this can be kind of something we'll talk about in the future, but your accessory work should give you structural stability to do your bigger lifts, right? Mm -hmm. So the stuff that you do in therapy is meant to slow people down, do some like biomechanics checks, but then Mm -hmm. you should also kind of give them stuff that they know that they can perform safely that works as far as like allowing them to continue to do squatting heavily safely. Bingo, bingo. I would even say like some of the things they learn in rehab mm-hmm. that you teach them would be like, for example, the dynamic warm up, improving w- the use of warm up sets or like smart programming, right? Looking at what programming maybe they were using beforehand in the gym, going through it with them and then kind of teaching them like the do's and don'ts of like, hey, like don't just go right into your working sets after having only done one warm up set. Um, if you need more warm-up sets, your body needs more warm-up sets and that's okay. It's not like it's going to take away, especially if you're at lower volumes or lower, not lower, volumes, lower loads. Like that's not going to take away from your working sets. If anything, it prepares you to handle the working sets more. Um, but maybe, maybe we'll talk about that in another episode as well. Um, I could talk about warm-ups all day long, especially in the gym. Um, but anything else you want to touch on Dave? Um, not too much. I feel like this has been relatively cumulative. You do enter some like kind of strange 
space when you start to reintroduce plyometrics mm -hmm. um, because you've told them not to do it so long. Yeah. But even that, I feel like that could be a whole other thing. But yeah, any quick progression, just make sure that they can absorb the eccentric before you like reverse directions or like you do something that's kind of relatively unweighted. So a good example for metrics at this would be like a box jump down where you're trying to check the position. Uh, death drops. Make sure that they're yep, absorbing the shock mm -hmm. or like I've done like some kind of band assisted single leg jumps mm -hmm. so that we're getting a high volume of turnover you know, 20 seconds on, 20 seconds off, trying to get them to go at like two jumps a second. Yeah. For a while. So that way it's not a high load, but it's a large volume of load before like doing the, I'm just going to jump for height or jump for distance or whatever that might look like. That could actually be a fun episode all in itself. It's just the reintegration of plyometrics doing a rehab yeah. bit. We can yep. talk about that for a while. Yep. <laughs> Oh, but you you want to consider that before they go back out as well so that way they're not regressing right so that's another kind of phase of tissue prep that you should kind of be thinking about towards the end of like eight-ish weeks or yeah. as soon as like their symptoms are gone they can tolerate that load yeah maybe even one day we can talk about like a return to sport protocol or like a like a return to sport testing like before actually getting back on the field I follow a particular battery of testing um, just to kind of have like measures and things of that nature before sending them back to doc and saying, yes, they're ready to get back on the field. Um, we can also talk about the use of a, a psychological measure as well in the clinic um, when we get to that point. But I think definitely we need to talk more about the, the earlier phases a little bit more. I think we did a good job about talking about phase one today. I definitely think talking about like learning movement patterns, maybe structures of like, or patterns of learning, things of that nature. Like how much do you cue? How much do you not cue? Stuff like that. I mean, we could talk about that. Just let us know what you guys want to know more on. And then Dave and I will, will hash it out. Okay. But um, if anyone has any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to Dave and I, or uh, reach out to the, the podcast page. Um, thinking about maybe possibly writing up our own programming, putting it up on the Patreon page. So if you guys are interested in that as well, um, that way you guys can kind of see like what we write up on a daily or weekly basis. Um, just a little food for thought, but let us know. All right. Anything else? Nope. I'm good. All right. Adios, everybody. Have a good one. Stay warm. <laughs>